0: Uh, well, there are a couple of things that Christians do that people think are quite strange. <laughs> uh, one of them is coming to church every Sunday. Rather than sleeping in or going to the beach or washing your car or sitting in a coffee shop, Or uh, we get to sit on uncomfortable seats, listen to a boring speaker, surrounded by people we have very little in common with. At least that's what people think. Uh, A second strange thing we do is we willingly give away our money, uh, rather than saving it and spending it on ourselves. It just doesn't make sense. The only explanation many people come up with is that churches encourage donations to make themselves richer. Now, sadly, there are some high-profile Christian ministries that might support that suspicion, And so what that means is, the non-Christian world, as they look at the church, they tend to say, watch out, they only want you for your money. And so if you're here for the first time today, you'll probably be thinking, yep, absolutely right, I knew it, walk into church and the preacher hits me up for money. But can I say that this is something that happens very rarely, uh, it just so happens to be where we are up to in two Corinthians, chapters eight and nine, where Paul raises this delicate issue of money, uh, and why the Corinthians should actually beg for the gift of giving their money. Now that sounds a bit like a sales pitch, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, something that seems too good to be true, uh, too good to be true, but wait, there's more. you get to give your money. But that's what Paul does. He actually answers the question in these chapters, why should a Christian give away their money? Now, here's what he says, and it's a summary in case you fall asleep, you get distracted, had a big day yesterday, in case you miss it later, here's the summary. Uh, To give your money to help God's people is a wonderful privilege. It's a gift from God that is for your good, for God's glory, and to help others. There you go, you can fall asleep now. Uh, But before I start, though, I want to fill in some background because there's something going on and it helps us uh, if we can understand what's going on. Now, almost everywhere that Paul goes on his journeys around uh, Europe and Asia and around the Mediterranean, he's collecting money. But it's not for himself, it's a collection for his fellow Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. The whole region has been hit by a famine and they're desperate. And so Paul wants these non-Jewish churches to show their love for their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters by giving them money to help them live. Now about a year ago, the Corinthians had made some big promises. They'd pledged their support. The only trouble is they didn't follow through. They were all talk and no action. Perhaps, perhaps you know people like that. Well, to be blunt about it, Paul is now going to remind them of their promise. That's the point of this part of the letter. Now, there's the background. But as Paul deals with that specific situation, there are a lot of general principles about giving money for us today, including this answer to this question, why should a Christian give away their money? But notice first how Paul frames this whole issue of giving He actually turns our expectations about giving upside down and he says that it's more about what you receive than what you give. Look at verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He'll go on to talk about how generous the Macedonian church is, but he calls it, firstly, a grace given by God. Uh, The privilege of giving, it's an opportunity to be part of what God is doing. Now, that's actually the way the Macedonians themselves see it. Down in verse 4 we read, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the saints. (laughs) Please, let us help. Take my money. We we don't want to miss out. We want to be part of the action. We want to experience God's grace firsthand. Because you see, when it comes to giving, you you need to begin with what God has given us, which is everything. When was the last time that you gave with that sort of attitude? Please let us contribute. Well, that's sort of the background. Now, here's the first principle about giving. You don't have to give much to be generous. You don't have to give much to be generous. God is not so much interested in how much is given as he is in the attitude of the giver. Generosity is not just the amount, it's the attitude of the heart. And Paul holds up the Macedonians as an excellent example. They're suffering, they're poor, But they won't use either of those things as an excuse. Look at verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, they had really good reasons to keep their money to themselves, didn't they? But instead of begging Paul for money they were begging Paul to be allowed to give. And they didn't just give as much as they could, they actually gave more than they could afford. Now, before you say how irresponsible that is, before you say, I couldn't possibly do that, I have to provide for my family, I have to provide for my retirement and my new TV and all those new socks, just notice one thing. The Macedonians may have gone without. They may not have had much money, but they were rich. They were rich in generosity. Rich in generosity. Try thinking about possessions the way Paul does, the way the Macedonians do. They may not have had much, but they were wealthy. Now, you may not be as wealthy as your neighbour. But you're actually far more wealthy materially. You own far more things than 98% of the world. I went for a, tried to find out exactly, but it's somewhere between 98 and 90%, 99% of the world, the average Australian is more wealthy than. Perhaps you think uh, what you think are needs are not actually needs. They're just comforts optional extras. Things that you just covet or are proud of or worry about losing or breaking. Maybe you need to think a little less of privileged presumption and a little more of grateful humility. Try thinking a little less that you are on a cruise ship and a little more that you are on a battleship. John Piper in his book Let the Nations Be Glad, The Supremacy of God in Missions, talks about the idea of Christians thinking about wartime austerity. Uh, When a nation is at war, everyone rations. Everyone accepts it because they're doing their bit for the war effort. And he says Christians need to think a little more like that. He writes, Jesus presses us toward a wartime lifestyle that does not value simplicity for simplicity's sake, but values wartime austerity for what it can produce for the cause of world evangelisation. Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Uh, He goes on, the point is, An $80,000 or $180,000 salary does not have to be accompanied by an $80,000 or $180,000 lifestyle. God is calling us to be conduits of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. Our great danger today is thinking that the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. No matter how grateful we are, gold will not make the world think that our God is good. It will make the world, make people think our God is gold. That is no honour to the supremacy of his works. Uh, if people looked at our lifestyle, what would they think we valued most? But how can we do that? How can we go from adjusting our perspective from being on a cruise ship to a warship? How can we go about generating that sort of generosity? Well, I think Paul is telling us it begins with an attitude of gratitude. Did you notice the upside down... um, the upside-down economic arithmetic in verse 2? Severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. What's the key there? It's overflowing joy, isn't it? If it wasn't for overflowing joy, severe trial and extreme poverty would produce selfishness or at least careful thriftiness. The key is overflowing joy. A gratitude in God's goodness. A contentment in what you have. A trust in God's fatherly wisdom that he's given you all that you need. That's where overflowing joy comes from. God's kindness to the Macedonians flowed out all over the place in rich generosity. Principle one, you don't have to have much to be generous. Uh, principle two, there in verse five, give yourself to God first. Verse five, they did not do as they expected as we expected Ooh, let's try that one again uh, we did not uh, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You know, what, does, what does he mean by that? If you are new to this church, if you've been here, you know, less than a couple of years, maybe you've wondered why we don't take up a collection. Well, partly it's because we stopped during COVID and we never really got organised again and, and partly because our giving didn't actually decrease. Everyone just sort of switched over to online giving. But I reckon a better reason is what Paul is saying here. He's saying the great thing is the Macedonians put first things first. They gave themselves first to the Lord before they gave their money. God is more interested in the whole of your life in obedience and service than he is in your dollars. So that's what we should focus, foster, uh, on, focus on encouraging people to do as well. The only people we should expect to give to God's work are God's people. People who have given themselves to God first. And so if we have people coming into our church who are not believers yet and and we love that, the last thing we want is for them to give their money before they give God their lives. It'll actually be far more costly to give your whole life to God than it will to give your dollars. Everything else comes after we give ourselves to him. Rich generosity comes from overflowing joy. That's getting it the right way around. Overflowing joy that we know our God and Saviour and Creator and Father. And then it overflows into generosity. Generosity. Uh, Principle two, give yourselves to God first. Uh, Secondly, principle number three, sorry, thirdly, principle number three, model your giving on Jesus. Now that's really where the overflowing joy comes from. Uh, You'll see it in verse nine. uh, The Christians, uh, the the Macedonians are one example of generous giving. They didn't have much, but they still gave anyway and they finished poor. But here's the ultimate example, Jesus. For you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, Paul's using the language of riches and poverty because his, his subject is money. But he's talking about the life of Jesus, the gift of Jesus' life that he gave away. Jesus gave up heaven with its power and authority he was born a helpless baby he let himself be nailed to a cross under God's curse taking our sin he became poor so that we could become children of God so that we could be born again and filled with his spirit we could be heirs of heaven those are the best sorts of riches paul says that sort of giving from jesus is to be the model for our giving. It is to be the act we respond to. That sort of grace, that sort of generosity that gives everything without asking for anything, that gives without it being deserved. Be like that, says Paul. So when it comes to you deciding how much you should give for God's work, can I suggest, rather than looking at your bank balance, or your super balance, rather than looking at your weekly budget or the shopping catalogues or the inflation predictions, look at Jesus. Let his generosity guide your generosity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Uh, Principle 3, model your giving on Christ. Uh, Principle 4, give generously, not grudgingly. Uh, We're jumping down into chapter 9. Paul is putting pressure on the Corinthians to keep their promise, to keep their word. They were eager to give a year ago. Now it's time to deliver. Uh, He's writing a letter, this, this letter that we call 2 Corinthians. He's sending some men, probably accompanying the letter, And their job is to organise the money, all before Paul arrives in Corinth to collect it. But he's not just collecting the money. He's actually organising this pre-work, these warnings, so they might have the right attitude when they give the money. Have a look at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance, in advance of my visit, And finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You see, that's the goal. It's not so much the number at the bottom of the tally, but the right attitude. Giving modelled on Christ's generosity. Rich generosity that bubbles out of overflowing joy. Paul wants to see that in the Corinthians. The, thing, the, the, the point is, if you're going to give grudgingly, if you can't do it generously and gladly, don't give at all. If you're going to drop your money into the plate with a deep sigh and watch longingly as it disappears, or if you're going to give resentfully, don't bother. Because God looks at the heart. And so Paul is saying, between when the letter arrives and and, and when the couriers get there and when I get there, work on getting the attitude right. Spend some time fixing your thoughts on the generosity of Jesus. Because it does take work, doesn't it? Let's be honest. At our core, we are selfish creatures. We like comfort. We like having disposable income. It takes a new heart. It takes willpower. It takes prayer for God's strength and joy. It takes time to meditate on all that we have in Jesus and the privilege it is to share in the service of Him. It takes the power of a new affection that can replace your affection for the things that money can buy. It takes time to do all of that so that you will be joyful when you give rather than grudging. That you will be cheerful rather than cursing. And Paul says it again in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that's principle four, give generously, not grudgingly. Uh, Lastly, principle five, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. Uh, Verses six to 15 of chapter nine, a little lesson in farming. Now there is a whole movement in Christianity that takes this principle and runs with it in the complete wrong direction. Uh, Reading out of context, everything Paul is saying here. There is a a teaching in the church called prosperity teaching that says if you are a faithful Christian and you sow money, God will reward you financially. If you give money, it's like seed. God will give it back to you with interest. Now at first glance, verse 6 sounds a little like that, doesn't it? Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But look carefully, keep reading. First of all, verse 7, the sowing, we're told that God loves a cheerful giver. God is looking at the attitude with which you give. And if you are sowing out of greed, you're not going to receive more. Interestingly, back in verse 5, when Paul says uh, he wants a generous gift, not one grudgingly given, uh, that that second phrase, grudgingly given, it's actually literally something like uh, not from greed. He doesn't want you to give from greed. So there's sowing. Sowing that comes with the right attitude. But keep reading about what you might reap down in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace, all gifts, abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The harvest you are going to grow, if you sow generously, God is going to grow good deeds in you. Good deeds in the people that you give your money to. Or read verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and enlarge your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Can you see what he's saying? Now when you plant seed, God will grow more seed, God will multiply it, Not by paying you compound interest, not by enlarging your bank balance, but by enlarging the harvest of your righteousness. Now, what's that? Well, I think it's everything that flows from your right, ethical, fair behaviour. He will enlarge that in you, He will enlarge it in your church that you give to, He will enlarge it in the gospel workers you support. He will enlarge it in the non-Christians that those gospel workers share Jesus with. That's the harvest of righteousness that God will be growing when you generously give. Now doesn't that sound a whole lot better than a few more dollars in your account? And so that's the context for verse 11, which admittedly on the surface suggests uh, a similar thing you will be made rich in every way. Now, if we just stop there, you might think, that sounds good, doesn't it? You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, this is not saying that you will become rich with shared dividends and profits so that you theoretically could be generous if your financial planner said it was okay and if it was tax deductible. That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying that your life will be enriched just like the Macedonians who became rich in generosity. Your life will be enriched with a harvest of righteousness so that you can work out that spirit of generosity in others. So if you would like to give more or you would like to want to give more, if you've got a problem then here's how to fix it. I think Paul is saying, sow a little generosity. Uh, let the moths out of your wallet. Just blow some dust out of it. Just, just a little to begin with, just some seeds. And, and God promises that he will grow uh, those seeds. He will grow some generosity. A, a harvest of righteousness will begin. The little seedlings will start to pop up in your life. And your giving muscles will actually get stronger as you use them more. And your generosity will increase. People will praise God for it. Paul says in verse 11 that your generosity will result in praise to God. The service that you provide, verse 12, it's not just supplying the needs of God's people who receive the money, but everyone who finds out about it will overflow in thanks to God. A few years ago, the Committee of Management decided we needed some air conditioners. It was a bit of a stretch for our budget to afford it, but then someone donated the $10,000 to cover the cost. When COVID lockdown happened, we asked for donations so that we could help people who were struggling in different ways. People were so generous, we couldn't spend all the money that was donated. I think we've still got money. Uh, Perhaps you remember Elizabeth and her daughters, uh, refugees from Bangladesh. And there were a small group of people in our church who generously looked after that family for years. Uh, Not just money, hundreds, perhaps even thousands of dollars towards rent and food but time, emotional energy. Now, why am I telling you uh, these three stories? Is it to embarrass the givers? No. Is it to make you feel guilty about your giving or lack of giving? No. It's so that all of us might praise God for the obedience that his people are manifesting out of their overflowing joy for God. God is not so much interested in how much you give, but in how generously you do it. You may only give a little, but given your circumstances, that might be incredibly generous. Or you may give what on paper seems like a lot, and yet it's only a fraction of what you could give, and so it's not generous at all. So a couple of questions for you to ask yourself and for you to sit with. Am I being generous? And here's the second question. Am I being cheerful as I give? But if you're not yet a Christian, then let me say again, you are very welcome to give nothing until you come to the point where you are prepared to give yourself to the Lord. But if you have done that, if you've come to the point of giving your whole life to Jesus, then then surely your wallet is is a small thing in comparison. And when was the last time you actually pleaded for the privilege to give? (laughs) To share in the service of the saints? When was the last time you asked the committee of management, what do you need? Or or asked Gemma, or Pierre, or one of our other missionaries, whether they needed extra support. When was the last time you decided to increase your giving before someone stood up at church and said, we've got a a hole in the budget? However much you give, be generous, be cheerful, let it flow from a heart that follows the example of Jesus And I love how Paul responds in two chapters where he is talking about how we give. He finishes with these words. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your indescribable gift. Your grace towards us. Your son who died for us. Your spirit who indwells us. Your fatherhood who looks after us and loves us. Your eternal inheritance that will be ours. Our home in heaven. As we think about these things, Lord, we pray that they might generate in us uh, an overflowing joy uh, which is seen in a rich generosity not just in money but in all sorts of ways uh, a generosity for one another here a generosity for our neighbours a generosity for the people in our workplaces and our family and friends so that Jesus might be honoured Amen